Well, hello and welcome to the Gridiron Show. As we are, I, I keep meaning to make sure I know exactly how many days it is until the season. It's a month today. The first game of the season is a month today. That's not really a month. It's like four and a half weeks away. Uh, we are getting closer and closer. That means more and more nonsense coming out of training camps for us to enjoy and chat about uh, and plenty for us to sink our teeth into. Today, we're going to look at the most unrealistic or maybe unfair expectations we've been looking at the over-unders for some of the teams around the nfl and some of them are pretty astonishing from a super bowl team being predicted to have less than 10 wins this year to a team with no hope having over 11 wins we'll get into it uh, i'm will gavin i'm with gridiron uh, editor ollie Connolly. ollie how are we doing sir i'm doing good how are you yeah i'm all right i'm all right i was just hearing uh, fun things around HR conversations with you. So this is very different to just us chatting about college ball every now and again. And yeah, it's real life. I feel like an adult for the first time ever. We need to get into the NFL season so I can go back to being a big old child and enjoying sport again. That is what I've been getting across the commercial. This is my third coffee of the day and it's just gone past four o'clock, which is how my day is going. Love it. I, th- I suspect there are people at home who are probably like, I do that before 10 a.m. Uh, I will do in a few weeks' time when the NFL season gets underway. And I am going to be, I've already decided this. I was looking at my plans for Thursday and Friday and my meeting schedules and everything else. And I figured I don't have a meeting on Friday morning until like 10 a.m. So I can definitely stay up for at least the first two quarters of the 49ers' first preseason game, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's mandatory, I think. I got to see what Trey Lance does uh, against backups and in a non-competitive game. And it will form my entire opinion for the rest of the year. And he's going to be a bust based on what he does in that preseason games. Or he's going to take us to the Super Bowl one way or the other. You can cite that throw for the next two years as you try and figure out that exact question. You can always default back to the first preseason game. (laughs) perfect right uh let's deal with it most unrealistic expectations uh we're going to start off with the cincinnati bengals they are the super bowl runners up admittedly if they'd ever did an america's game for that team if they'd won that super bowl there would have been a lot of conversation about other quarterbacks throwing interceptions at rather convenient moments during a playoff run and things really falling into place for them. And they are a reason why I love to dismiss teams entirely from being able to make a run and then remember that, you know, there are runs like that that happen. And yet they're over under set at nine and a half right now. And that feels pretty low for a team that have just gone to the Super Bowl. Yeah. And when you factor in that there's unlikely to be Deshaun Watson for at least one of those games, more and more, it's looking likely like he won't be available for the whole season. I don't think Pittsburgh terrifies you if it's them. Every team in the NFL basically has a decent to great unit at this point. Um, They have obviously a great unit on defense, but why would they not feel like they have the best or second best roster in that league? I think the thing that is out there, which is fair, you know, no one loves Lou Anarumo, their defensive coordinator, more than me. People listening to this podcast may remember that during the last Super Bowl week, people realized during the second half of that Chiefs game that the Bengals might go to the Super Bowl and they may have to discuss the defense. And I think I'm the only person who wrote about that defense and I did so uh, an unnecessary amount of times last season. (laughs) The thing about that defense that was so special is how they would dramatically change week to week and just deploy one-off game plans. And sometimes it was excellent and sometimes it flamed out. That is really hard to sustain for even a season, which they somehow got away with last year. To sustain it into a second year and anything beyond is really tough. At some point, 
You just have to default to do we have the players? You know, do we have such a talented core that our defense can be sustainable three, four years? And you have to have Hall of Famers. You can go through the recent history of the great defenses. Unless you have a Hall of Famer at basically every level to get two, three years out of it, it's very, very tough. And I look at that defense and I really like those guys. And the interior is brilliant. And Trey Hendrickson is unbelievable. And they have maybe the best safety tandem in the league outside of maybe Buffalo. We can talk about Tennessee too. But it, it just doesn't quite have the on-the-surface talent that you'd expect. And so they kind of have to scheme their way to wins on defense. And I don't know how sustainable that is, is year over year. I was looking at one of my least favorite stats, but just to get a bit of an idea of where people felt like they sat on it. It's the old strength of schedule. Now, obviously, it's a nonsense because it's based on the year before. And we know that it's based on the win-loss from the year before, whereas the Steelers... I think most people are expecting them to take a step back, maybe even have the first ever losing season under Mike Tomlin. We're all expecting the Browns to likely take a step back unless you really buy into Jacoby Brissett or think that you know, this whole setup wasn't just designed to make Roger Goodell look like he's riding in on his white horse and slapping on the year suspension anyway. But kind of looking further beyond that, they've got the NFC South which has a couple of the worst teams in football. Yes, it means they have to go up against the Saints on the road with that defense. That's a tough game, admittedly. And there are a few other typical ones in there. You know, as the top of their division, the Chiefs, they have to play the Chiefs. They've got the AFC East, so they get the Patriots and the Bills. But it doesn't look horrendous. And the offensive side of the ball, I mean, in theory, they should just hit the ground running and be absolutely fine. They've even gone... Like that offensive line began to get figured out, began to figure itself out. The running games there, I can't figure out what it is on that side of the ball that we could be worried about. On the defense, are they any weaker? Are they any, like you're saying about the scheming, that's one thing, but this team looks no worse than it did 12 months ago. And maybe we didn't expect a Super Bowl run 12 months ago, but yeah, it's bizarre. I think that's the natural progression a lot of people are expecting. The Vegas maybe is buying more into the defensive regression. Um, and they were just so boom or buster on offense, right? That is not a, a team that's designed brilliantly, play call brilliantly. In fact, they tip plays constantly. <laughs> Everyone knows where they're going with the ball, particularly in the run game. And then there's the the Mars down there somewhere and they score seven points, right? How sustainable is that? Yet? Yeah, I think most kind of the, the national or fan view would be, well, they have this unbelievable quarterback who might genuinely be the best player in the game, right? He's right there. There's, there's so little between the, those top guys. Uh, with Burrow in there. You've got Jamar Chase, you've got Higgins, you've got Boyd. The only piece they've lost is the tight end. I reckon they can just figure that out and that'll be a, a Burrow. Uh, will make everyone look good in that role. As you said, they've readdressed the offensive line. It was the big area of concern. That I don't think they've done an unbelievable job overhauling that, but they've changed the profile, as we've discussed before, to kind of make it fit Burrow's style a bit more, which I think can amplify the offense even more. So if I'm them, I don't look at any team in the league and think they can outscore us, right? You have all the pieces you could ever want to post, drop 40 on anyone's head anywhere in the league, and that's a pretty good starting point. And as you mentioned, that opening schedule, why would they not be 4-0 playing Pittsburgh at Dallas at Jets, home to Miami? They should be 4-0 going into at Baltimore, which would already... I'm trying to talk myself into the Cowboys on the road, but they're a team we're going to talk about coming up. If and I think... Not, uh, don't get me wrong, but the, do they go in there thinking they're a disadvantage to the Cowboys? I get... There is that, of course. The argument is, and it comes back to what we were saying last week about the Russell Wilson and the Broncos, is that it's a very strong AFC that's arguably got even stronger, particularly if you look at what they've done in the West with the kind of arms race they've had going on there. They could improve in every area and not make the Super Bowl this year. It's like that is absolutely a possibility. You know, Zach Taylor could suddenly become a genius play caller and not uh, a 
the great mirage. I was trying to think of a much more polite way to say what I wanted to say. Um, and they could still not go to the Super Bowl this year. I just, I don't see the reason to fear for them in the division, in the regular season. I expect double digit wins. I absolutely expect a postseason appearance. And beyond the fact that I've got this real soft spot for the Ravens this year, I fancy them to win the division as well. Yeah, I love the Ravens, so I, I'm heavy, heavy on them, like you are. But then it, it does come back to, I hate boiling everything down to Joe Burrow. I'd love to get into the intricacies of their defense. But really, <laughs> when you have a special one, you don't miss the playoffs, right? That's just, we've seen that for 25 years now, the new CBA. If, there are, if he's as good as he is purported to be, and I believe him to be one of the three best in the league, those guys don't miss the playoffs. So I, it's weird to have an over-under total when one of the most famous guys in the sport is the, is the face of the franchise. And as you said, they actually got better at the key area uh, of weakness. So I would expect 10 wins and all the more so if there's no Watson in the division. That feels like a, a pre-Watson suspension type type value play. Um, on to aforementioned Cowboys. Over-under set at 10.5 points and... Uh, you know, no one can guarantee a playoff run. No one can guarantee a Super Bowl appearance, but it feels like you can take a a big step back, if nothing else, in an off season. I'm not sure they've taken a big step back, but for a team that went out in the wild card last year, it doesn't feel like they've addressed the issues that they needed to address in order to progress further this season. Yeah, they lost key pieces, and the big thing they had last year was such outstanding quality depth. They would just roll off one pass rusher, the next great one would come in, and they've kind of lost that depth this year with the likes of Gregory going out. Them signing Anthony Barr, I think, is a little bit terrifying, and people are trying to spin that into a win. Oh, that means he can play off the ball, and then Micah Parsons can play as a pure pass rusher. Sounds great in theory. Anthony Barr stinks. And if they felt the need to go get Anthony Barr so that he can play in multiple positions so they can move Micah Parsons around... I'm concerned. Where's the game plan before signing Anthony Barr to move Micah Parsons around? The reason Micah Parsons was so brilliant last year is the lack of predictability of where he was going to pop up in the scheme. Like, don't get me wrong, physical attributes, work rate, effort, all of that was there as well. Clearly, the kid's got a great footballing brain, but what they did so well was not do what so many organisations probably would have done, and much to Dan Quinn's, you know... uh, much respect to Dan Quinn for doing this, but they recognised that what made him great is how multiple use he was, and they moved around the formation. They made it so difficult to predict what he was going to do. They had him running stunts. They had him doing all sorts of things to throw you off. And yeah, okay, you've got a year of film now, but if you just turn Mike Parsons into a pure edge rusher, you kind of lose what makes him really special. I'm sure he would still be productive, but he goes from being a rookie that looked like an all-pro to being a productive pass rusher. That's probably not enough in a defense which has lost a lot of those kind of quality players. Yeah, particularly in a day and age now where, as I've banged on about over the whole offseason, the whole point of defensive football now is to change the pre- to post-snap picture. So you want things that look like one thing pre-snap and they become something else post-snap. If you're just in a static four-down-and-go defense, old-school giants, that is great. If Lawrence is you know, Hall of Fame level and Mike Parsons is Hall of Fame level, that's fine. We can run that all day. If that's not at that level, you have to have this new level of disguise, otherwise you're just getting toasted in the NFL. The thing they did with him last year that was really interesting was they didn't really move him a lot in-game. They just decided week to week, he's doing this job, he's doing that job. There was one week where he just played in coverage, basically. Having that ability to change week to week is so rare when the offense is game planning for where is this guy going to be, right? Then they're worrying about maybe you will move him, and it brings in that kind of Tyron Matthew level of reputational advantage 
of the quarterback looking for him constantly, even if he's not actually moving for the fear that he might move and what he might do. Um, bringing Anthony Barr and less even what he might do. Maybe he doesn't even make the team, but it, it indicated to me they weren't happy with where they were at linebacker behind Parsons. So does that mean Parsons plays linebacker and he limits the off-ball stuff and he limits the pass rush stuff, sorry? Or does he play pure pass rush and they book Anthony Barr off-ball? And if Barr is off-ball, if you run through the middle of that defense, that is not cutting it. It is just nowhere near good enough. And there's question marks on offense too. If only, you know, the other team that I think a lot of people are picking for the division, it's not like they run the ball particularly well or that's a huge part of their <laughs> offense or anything in Philadelphia. So, yeah, you know, uh, I, I think they need to get a lot more. I mean, Demarcus Lawrence, what's he going to look like, hopefully, with a full season? Lord knows if that will be the case. He obviously had the foot injury last year, but I, I don't know. I, I really don't look at their defense and fear it. The interior pass rush looks weaker than it did last year. The I, Trayvon Diggs, you know, Great, all pro performance, what most interceptions since Everson Walls, but he A, those aren't sustainable numbers, but also he was a boom or bust guy who seemed to give up big plays or make an interception. Sometimes you need a guy like that in your defense, but not when you've got not got the right players to then cover him. If you've got somebody who's just gonna say, chase the big play, make make the big play, try and jump the route, try and make those moves, well, you need other guys who are good in coverage around him, and I don't know if they've got that. No, they don't. If you just run down the list, they don't have that kind of variability on the back end. That They have to try and make that more of a predefined thing. He was basically just saying F- on coverages that you're not supposed to undercut. That's why he was so boom or bust, right? Is he's in landing zones that quarterbacks aren't even expecting because they're reading it out going, okay, so it's seven. So that guy's going to be there. That guy will spin to there. And this crazy guy is undercutting things that he's not supposed to do. You can predefine some of that undercut stuff, which I imagine they'll they'll try and bake in this year. But it's not even so much the deal. I, I think offensively, I love Dak Prescott. I'm probably Dak Prescott's biggest supporter, I would suggest, of any of the peoples other than Mrs. Prescott. And maybe- yeah, other than oh. Mama Prescott, Mrs. Prescott, and... <laughs> I'd suggest quite a few people in the Cowboys facility as well. Probably Jerry Jones. But I just look at that and I think, okay, so Michael Gallup returning from injury. Jalen Tolbert, who is a one-trick pony rookie, only is going to get vertical. No more Amari Cooper, who was their slant underneath guy. Dalton Schultz, unbelievable breakout season last year. Is that sustainable? Ezekiel Elliott is basically cooked. How much can they put Tony Pollard in, who they probably want to put in, but they've got the Zeke thing hanging over them. They probably feel like they've got to get him some extra reps. The line wasn't very good last year. That they've got three pieces this year that are kind of iffy. You've got the two great plays. You've got the three iffy ones. It feels like a team who crested on a wave to last season. Perfect roster. Got the defensive performance they didn't expect. We were a juggernaut on offense for 10 weeks. They had so much depth on defense they weren't anticipating. And all those little pieces have been ripped out now. And I just look at it and I go, there's tons of playmakers. And I'd rather have what they have, which is like six of the best players at their position in the league. That is the perfect foundation. Because if you just get average performance out of those other pieces, you're probably going to the playoffs. But there's just something about all those other pieces when you start stacking them on top of each other and you look at the positions they're playing, corner, right tackle, your deep threat receiver. These are big, big positions for their system. And I'm not so sure. And then on the other side of the ball, like I mean, the side of the ball you're now talking about, but I'm with you on Zach, uh, on Dak. And I think they've, you know, the running back tandem potentially has the, has the potential to be great, but, you know, Terrence Steele starting at right tackle after Lael Collins was cut this off season. Okay, Tyron Smith continues to make Pro Bowls, but it feels like 
Those are reputationable reputation Pro Bowls rather than performance Pro Bowls. Zach Martin, okay, that's a bright spot on the line, but the rest of the interior that used to be so good isn't there anymore. It now feels like a weakness rather than a strength, if not average to below average. I think with all of these, we should probably say whether we think they're going to go over or under. That's maybe what uh, you know, Mike was intending when he gave us this list. I'm going to say Bengals over nine and a half, just to get that out of the way now. I'm going to say Cowboys under 10 and a half. I look through their schedule. I'm giving them, even if I give them four wins over New York and Washington, which I'm not completely convinced by, I struggle to pick out another six wins that I feel really confident about. And it's 10 and a half, so really I need to find another seven wins I feel really confident about. And they don't exist on that on that list. Yeah, I'm going under 10 and a half. The thing about their offense too is it feels like everything has to be just right for them. I know Nate Tice has been big on this, that they, they have this like addiction to getting to the perfect play. You go through where they're at in the play clock and they get really low down into it and they become quite predictable, even though Kellen Moore's whole thing is this kind of cool and creative movement type system. They don't have a bunch of like, just go get me a bucket, go make a play type guys. Dak doesn't play like that anymore. He, he is Peyton Manning. He gets the ball out. He gets it to the perfect spot. He moves on with the game. He'll take three yards just to keep the ball moving along. They've really dink and dunk their way down the field. When, when they're getting their front wrecked, and you're right on Washington, Washington's defense has the potential to wreck anyone's offensive line, right? And so now you've got to try and make some plays, and it's a real shit show, and there's bodies flying everywhere, and can I throw with weird arm angles, and can I get the ball into the flat, and Tyreek turns it into 12 yards, right? The, go through that roster. I can't find those guys. These are guys who are unbelievable, slotted right into the system, and we're playing on time, and I'm ripping people apart down the field, and Dak's really smart, and he can just beat people with his arm. But if things start to go wrong up front, I don't think that the pieces are built to that. C.D. Lamb isn't a slippery guy who catches the ball and is gone 50 yards. He's a guy who gets open through design or beats someone off the line of scrimmage, puts his hands up 25 yards downfield, and Dak finds him. So I, I think they're in real trouble if they're forced to kind of move to a, to a secondary phase of the offense. And you go through that schedule, like you said, they are just seeing dominant pass rush after dominant pass rush, and I don't think they have the depth along the offensive line. So um, I'm with you. I'll go Bengals over and Cowboys under. Uh, let's move on to the Los Angeles Rams. Their over-under has been set at the same as the Cowboys. Uh, we do have to slightly curtail it with the fact that let's respect the fact that their division is stronger than the Cowboy than the Cowboys overall, depending on what you really feel about the Cardinals going into this year, and I guess the 49ers as well, but let's be kind. Uh, I still have feelings. Um, and But out, their out-of-division schedule is very difficult this year. Uh, not only that, but... Super Bowl coming off the back of it. You always have the bit of a hangover, bit of a loss of talent potentially. I'm I'm intrigued what you think of the Allen Robinson hype because I was listening to Jordan Rodrigue this week who does the athletic, she does the 11 personnel podcast and covers the Rams for the athletic. I think she's a really decent X's and O's writer as well. And she was talking about watching them in practice and trying not to get overexcited about it because she's trying to stay you know, level-headed and, and doing her job and staying. But she's saying what she's seeing there is the same thing she saw from Stafford, Stafford and Cooper Cup last year, where they're, like, getting down and drawing plays together in the dirt and then making these, like, changes at the line of scrimmage that Mouvet hasn't even handed them. And, like, it just it feels like finally Alan Robinson, after maybe the worst first, what, seven, eight years in the league from a quarterback perspective that anyone who can be considered an elite wide receiver has had, is flourishing with the opportunity to finally have somebody who knows what they're doing back there. In theory, if he is as good as they are projecting him to be, then that sounds like a pretty decent offense, even with some some elbow injury problems for Matt Stafford. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess we have to see on the elbow injury. Some of the reports last week from the the same writer you were talking about there, that was really concerning. They're just like, oh yeah, it's, it's um, he can't throw, so we'll we'll see how it goes. Um, all of the symptoms of a UCL injury, which is what they're kind of hinting at, which is the Tommy John surgery in baseball, which is really rare for a quarterback. And then you have to get Tommy John surgery and that's usually an 18 month recovery. So they just kind of jab it and jab it and jab it and hope that it holds up for the year. So it's a concerning one for a guy who that's how he throws the ball, right? He rips it sidearm. He's not an over the top classic delivery guy. He throws like a baseball player. Um, It's a bit concerning if he plays and he's absolutely fine, then they should, club people I mean, there's not a finer group of offensive weapons out there really maybe the Niners because they got the tight end and the the offensive weapon in Debo that the, the Rams don't have the, the Robinson thing to your point they they needed a big body big frame it's third and long and they're always an empty and we can't manufacture space for cup every time because they do a lot Cooper Cup is unbelievable but a lot of that offense is manufacturing ways for cup to get open be it through play design or bring him into a stack using a second body to get him clean off the line of scrimmage because he just doesn't get off the, the line as cleanly as most elite players he's kind of better in the second third phase of the route which is where he beats people at the top of the stem so just having someone who's giant who as everyone deploys their resources to try and slow down cooper cup and try and roll over the top of him they usually have to deploy three guys to, to do that in the middle of the field you just have a giant body big long arms and matthew Stafford can rip the ball to him along the sideline it's a it's a perfect perfect second fiddle it, it also the the other report that was coming out, and as much as Stafford has been throwing and, and looking relatively comfortable when he has been, just uh, it sounds like pain management perspective so far, which is, it always sounds terrifying, but you know how many players are going through that at any one time. But it was also interesting hearing from Cam Akers about the wrinkles in the offense, because they went from that kind of, every run was under center with Goff, everything was just designed to deal with his frailties, to... I mean, you mentioned the empties, Stafford being in the gun, lots of the run coming out of that as well, loving to go with the empty sets, where apparently this year it's kind of almost they went from a what we think of as a McVeigh offense into a very Stafford-heavy offense into apparently a bit of a hybrid so far is what people have seen in training camp. That excites me, like the idea that we're going to see them do something a bit more multiple this year and do something a bit more out there with extra weapons as well like if Stafford's healthy like you say they should absolutely destroy people and on the other side of the ball okay they've lost path uh, actually we should mention the line as well obviously you lose your left tackle even though he was 40 he was still you know doing a job and you're going to be playing a rookie by the looks of it at guard always question marks about those things if there's an offense designed to hide those things I guess McVeigh's is it? Is that me trying to justify oh, it? I sound enough like a Rams fan right now. <laughs> that's more where that empty stuff will come in because you can just eliminate a lot of that. They ain't, no one's sending pressure in the NFL against Matthew Stafford and empty. All right, they're, they're, they're saying, can you pick us apart or not? That becomes the game and Stafford is as good as anyone from empty. So they're not lighting him up from that, which means you can pretty clearly define who's coming, who's staying as an offensive line and make things a lot easier for him. That's part of what happened last year when Noteboom had to slot in for Whitworth is they just went and that super spread stuff that you're talking about there, they, they bounced to that like 30% of the time. That was the bulk of, of the offense. Um, so I think they can, and Noteboom was really, really good when he was put in there. That's why they, they extended him and tried to keep him uh, in the off season. So I, I have no, no worries about him and the rest of the line is pretty, pretty dominant too. So um, we'll see on that. I think the, the thing you mentioned on them kind of blending their ideas is really interesting because when Stafford first came, he, he basically played, pure isolation football in Detroit and then 
McVeigh runs no isolation stuff or very, very minimal, as much as you can get away with in the NFL. Um, and then last year, they did pretty fairly blend the two in the first instance before ditching it both together and building an entirely new offense. So I think that my understanding would be they were trying, that's what they want to be. It wasn't quite working with their personnel. And then they obviously moved to an offense that did work and they won the Super Bowl. And I think they want to go back to the grand idea, which was blending those two philosophies anyway at the start of the year. But the way the league is now, it's really hard to get under center and run the ball now. So they're going to have to play from the gun anyway. Um, and that would that would favor more towards Stafford's ideology. Um, the, what I was mentioning on the defensive side of the ball, Von Miller gone. That's a problem. Bobby Wagner added, not in the same position, obviously, but somebody who could, in theory, be a lovely piece to add to a veteran defense if he's, you know, we didn't see a huge amount of him uh, compared with the the player that we know he can be over the last two years, but that was in a very talent-weak Seahawks team, as we've increasingly seen. And completely misused, because they, they yeah. tried to ask him to do the same Bobby Wagner stuff last year in year 50 or whatever he is in the league, as they did when it was year two and he was the most gifted athlete in the entire league. I don't for one second imagine that Raheem Morris will say, hey man, can you carry number three vertically and go get the quickest guy down the field? the way the Seahawks are still asking you to. I imagine they say, hey, Bobby, run through that guy's face mask downhill. And he goes, yes, sir. (laughs) If anyone can still do that, it's Bobby Wagner. Um, So I think they'll put him in the ideal spot to succeed, and he won't be a three-down player necessarily anymore. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. Ernst Jones next to him, I think, is uber, uber talented and could be pretty special for them. Um, The Von Miller one, that, that to me isn't that significant of a loss. Really, they brought Miller in to change the profile of the pass rush, more so than have him as a standalone brilliant player. Now he was outrageously good when he got there just as good as he's ever been i don't think they want to be a five five down and go defense kind of in general that that would be that would be pretty aggressive Uh, most teams aren't doing that they're lining five and dropping one out so you can manufacture with leonard floyd i think some of what you got from miller because they brought donald back and having donald and robinson playing well inside i think is probably more important than whether or not they could bring miller back Right, uh, I am going uh, over on the ten and a half. Even though, despite that difficult schedule, I kind of believe in in the Rams. I think they split the tougher games in the division, and then they, I don't think they just win outside of it for the most part. To be honest, yeah, I, I spent all off season trying to pick holes in them and see the pieces that are leaving. But I think it's the most confident I've been. I don't have full confidence of a team going back to back um, in at least. 10 years I, I can't see a, a fault and not, and not a fault as in like they're going to go and beat it because they are such a boom and bust side anyway but you i drop them in the playoffs tomorrow i think they'll absolutely make it and then i'm trying to think who has as many high-end pieces as they do and there's really no one that it, it, it's at least match buffalo is the one where i think buffalo is just a better team overall and mm-hmm. they're more consistent i could see them ripping off 16 wins i can't see the rams doing that but you put them in a one-on-one matchup in the playoffs and there's no one more talented than the Rams. Uh, let's talk Saints. Over under set at eight and a half, which I think with their defense feels relatively low with hopefully a healthy Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas feels relatively low. Do you ever want to bet on a Jameis Winston team going <laughs> to nine plus wins in a season though? 
My, my big concerns is yeah, I've written about this a lot with the defense that you take out the Marcus Williams piece. And I think it's such a dramatic change for the whole defense that has gone a little bit under the radar. And I thought that was the best defense in the league overall last season, but they are so massively changing who they are defensively. And until I see it, I'm not going to believe it. Uh, and then you factor in that we're really banking on the health of Kamara and Thomas. And if you're looking at eight and a half wins, and I know you get to play, um, you get the Falcons. Falcons. You get to play the and Falcons. The they get that, and that's really good. But you also do have Jameis, who, as you said, is liable to throw any one of those games away just because he has a Jameis day. And you're betting on the health of two players who I just am not sure will be healthy. And an offensive line that was comfortably in the top four or five in the league, right, for four years running. And now you look at it, and it is just woof after woof after woof along the whole line outside. <laughs> I feel that's very rude towards Ryan Ramchick. Depends I said outside wise. the right tackle spot. Ryan Ramchick is unbelievable. The rest of that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I didn't actually hear you say, apart from the right tackle spot. So I will, I'll, I'll let you off on that. I was thinking to myself, they've got one really good player. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know. I do feel like you say they're relying on Michael Thomas. He has looked good in preseason so far, but it's very preseason. Uh, you've got, potentially a great rookie in Chris Olave. You've got Jarvis Landry. If Alvin Kamara is in any way healthy, I'm not backing on Mark Ingram being any kind of impact. But uh, they, there's enough there that if it goes right, it could go really right for the Saints in a... In a I'm, I'm just looking through that roster now. Division. And I see ifs at every single position, but yeah. defensive line. And, and that's still, you know... Marshawn Lattimore last year was as good as he's ever been. It was an unbelievable bounce back year. The defensive front was the best in the NFL last year. They had the best light box defense in the NFL. They had the best two deep defense in the NFL. The two exact things you need in the modern NFL, they were the best at in the league. But they're still ifs over the safeties, ifs over the corner, ifs over the offensive line, ifs over the weapons, ifs over the quarterback. And as good as the good pieces are, when you start looking at the rest of the league and how many ifs they have, not so many have as many. <laughs> Even the how Panthers not, don't have that as many as that group. How does that defensive backfield line up? Because I feel like Tyron Matthew and Marcus May are very similar players, one of which has played at a much higher level over the past five-plus years, but is a question mark with how, again, how healthy, engaged, everything he's going to be at this point. I like the idea of him going back to the bayou and being brilliant, though. That, like, that excites me. Like, uh, I don't know. He's just a player I love so much. But I, I don't understand how the pieces fit together and how that secondary is actually going to look. No, I, I have absolutely no idea. Um, taking the best free safety in the league out of the defensive backfield and dropping in a guy who is a linebacker in a safety's body, Marcus May, and Tyron Matthew, who, as you said, is a Tasmanian devil. Put him here, put him there, spin him everywhere. Um one of those guys ain't playing deep and they say it's gonna be marcus may which the jets tried for like three weeks the jets figured this out after three weeks and said oh this is really 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 rough he's a linebacker at this point um tyron matthew is basically a linebacker he makes all of his best plays around the line of scrimmage now and if not coming top down so i they're gonna to have to completely transform their defensive profile there's a chance they could take one of their corners and convert them to deep safety but this this is what i'm talking about just figuring out your free safety on the fly is not a way to go into a season, right? Even if you're not sure the guy's good, you'd rather at least know who it's going to be. You're kind of talking me into <laughs> under eight and a half. In a division that has the Panthers and the Falcons, you're talking me into the under. It feels like the most push of all pushes, but yeah, I, I think I might go under eight and a half. 
What's there you go, Wally Connolly. You've had an influence on me. Let me look through the schedule quickly. So they go <laughs> to home to Tampa at Carolina, home to Minnesota. So let's call that two and two. Home to Seattle, home to Cincinnati, three and three. Then things get really, really, really tough. Um, they go at Arizona, home to Vegas, home to Baltimore, at Pittsburgh, home to the Rams, at San Francisco, at Tampa. Yeah. There's a very real chance. Now, Arizona might not be good. The Raiders will see they have a terrible offensive line. But it's not beyond the realms of possibility they do not win or win only one of those games. <laughs> they might be last year's Cardinals. They might go into like week 10 at 8-1 and one and just be absolutely sitting pretty and then just collapse entirely. Maybe even scrape into the offseason, but not as a team that deserves to or should be there. Um, all right, under eight and a half, going for it. Uh, this is my favourite note from all of our lovely little running order that Mike has put together to us. I can't wait to hear how many wins you are going to give the New York Jets, who he's put on here claiming that essentially over under being five and a half is an unrealistic expectation. Uh, are we really thinking the Jets can't get six wins? I will say, I think that's more on me for undue influence of the producer there because I've been hearing a lot of talk about the Jets, but I didn't know the total was actually that low because what I've been hearing was around the 7-8 win mark and people are talking themselves into that because they think the Patriots aren't very good. I just think there seems to be a lot of belief that the Jets are going to be a lot better when I look at their roster and I see the quarterback is still awful. And defensively, I like the pieces they've added, but you just cannot expect three rookies to come in and play really well. As That just doesn't happen. You maybe get lucky and one of them's really good. Maybe you get super duper lucky and one of them's Micah Parsons, the best defensive player we've seen for some time, and he has a Khalil Mack-type impact, right? You don't get three of them. And the rest of those pieces just aren't good enough. I also, like, that, that whole Patriots aren't very good thing. I know that they got into the postseason last year, kind of limped into there, and that defense is slow. But they still got into the postseason with a rookie quarterback and a, and a, a team that we looked at the roster and said it wasn't very good. They will be coached to eight-plus wins, at least one of those, I imagine, over the New York Jets, if not two. I'm, I'm looking. I'm genuinely now doing the looking through their schedule thing that you've just done and trying to find <laughs> the wins. I mean, I, I'm with everyone else. Offensive line, really talented. like that, right? That makes sense. Tight end, love CJ Zamawa. Great player. Excellent. Corey Davis, okay, not great. Moore, okay, not great. Wilson, big, big fan of his. You still have Zach Wilson as the quarterback. And I don't know what this magical setup is going to be dropped on. They drafted him to play in a system that is now obsolete in the league. Okay, I'm going to give them... Everything you said there is correct, by the way. Well done. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to give them wins over the Bears, the Jags. That's, that's kind as well, because I think the Jags are going to be better this year. The Seahawks. I'm going to have them split with the Patriots and Dolphins, just because I'm trying to find six wins here. And maybe beat the Browns in week two? That would be six. Oh, it's ugly. It's really ugly. Where is I really want Robert, Robert Salah to succeed as well. He's such a lovely man. And I like Robert Salah and having Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed is a good a one-two cornerback tandem as you could hope for as a rebuilding team. Love that. That's great. Safeties are okay. Everything else in that defense is a problem. Show me where Robert Salah, the master of the four down and go, let's play two deep defense. Where is his pass rush coming from? 
And if not through just general talent, get off the ball and go uh, organic pass rush, where are the creative players at the second level or even in the safety positions where he can run some of the new creative fire zone, simulated pressures, all the stuff that all the teams who don't have the great pass rushes have to run to get some kind of pressure. Show me in that in that second level of the defense where are even the good players, let alone the ones you can do creative things with. Okay, we're going under five and a half wins. I get it, mate. I get it. <laughs> uh, poor, poor man. Uh, does he? Do you think he gets fired this year if they only win four that, games? That, that's the one. That's what was kind of my initial pitch for doing this because there's an owner element here where are the Jets? That is realistic. Five and a half, you know. And if they go over that, great. And if not, I would not, you know, freak out. The roster isn't quite there yet, right? They haven't figured out the quarterback. Does Woody Johnson, the Johnson family, believe like? the people on ESPN that they can win seven, eight games and they should be much better because they have a good offensive line. Like anyone, I love a good offensive line. I think Brees Hall has a chance to be the offensive rookie of the year because they'll run the hell out of the ball behind that line. Are they really going to buy into the notion they could should be winning seven or eight games and then get upset if they don't? Yeah, very possibly. Very possibly. Oh, God. Um, should we finish on the forgotten team of the NFL? Yes. I literally, the other day, I, so... We talked about this when I went on TalkSport and talked about the Broncos. And I got tweeted by somebody having a dig at me for saying that I didn't think Russell Wilson would win another Super Bowl. And I responded with basically similarly to what I responded with on the podcast, saying it's very difficult to win two Super Bowls. Only what 13 quarterbacks have ever done it in the 53 years. And some of those, you know, the guys that have won four, five, seven, ridiculously. Um, And also, it's a really tough AFC. And I listed off... The Chiefs and the Chargers, and I mentioned, you know, I think the Ra- I'm really hot on the Ravens this year, as we've mentioned already. And I mentioned all of these teams, and I said, you know, and I haven't even mentioned the Bengals who went to the Super Bowl last year, and I just ignored the Titans entirely. <laughs> just, just forgot they existed. And I feel like that is what Titans fans go through every year, no matter how good they are. And yet, I look at this season, I, I really like Mike Vrabel. I like his approach. I like his attitude. I think he's a good coach. I think he gets performances out of players we don't expect. I think he schemes that defense really well. I just think they look like a worse team this year than last year, not just because they've lost AJ Brown and tried to replace him immediately with a rookie, although that is a problem. Just doesn't look like the reloaded team they needed to be. And suddenly, you know, not winning that that Bengals game, that one interception felt like maybe that slipped through your fingers now. Yeah, I, I think that was a closing of the window. Um, and I, I would have liked to have seen them do something more dramatic in the offseason to maybe say, look, we got to shift this style because they got a preview last season when Derek Henry went down of what this thing looks like if Derek Henry isn't rolling and all defenses have now built their structure to stop what Derek Henry does well. Now, you, Derek Henry beats anyone, you know, rising through the hole. It's still probably a wrap and he's, he's going to to keep winning for you know the foreseeable future but they had to try and find a way i think to move beyond that kind of mini Tannehill, derrick henry era and they drafted malik willis with this in mind i believe that maybe they could just throw it to him at some point and hope for the best and they could be more of a chaos offense but they had to do more than just take him take burks and kind of go down both paths at once where they drain the final drops out of the Tannehill and Henry of it all and then maybe boot to the the next era at the end of this season. Um, I think they should have maybe been a bit more aggressive and kept AJ Brown and dropped another piece on top of it if they were going to try and have the one last dance situation. So yeah, there's, there's 
I mean, we can rattle through the holes if we want to along the offensive line, not having the weapons anymore. I love adding Robert Woods, but who knows coming off the injury, cornerback room's a problem. The, the only thing that, I'll, that is a certainty with them is as long as Rabel is there, you mentioned it, and I'm glad you mentioned it because he does not get enough credit for being a warlock type coach. Um, you know, Belichickian levels of defensive schematics where he just kind of gets given the rah-rah reputation like he's Dan Campbell because that's kind of like the attitude he puts out there. He is so far and away ahead of a bunch of defenses in the league in terms of what they do schematically. What defenses are doing now, he was doing three years ago. I'm sure he's ready to move beyond what those defenses are doing now, which has become in vogue. And somehow Brandon Staley's a genius, but Mike Vrabel isn't, even though <laughs> Mike Vrabel's team are the number one seed in the NFL consistently. And I think it's because he's quite rah rah Um So I think they'll have a good defense again, but I do have massive, massive question marks over the offense this year. I'm going to go under nine and a half wins. I think it's a, a good line, but I it feels like at best a transition year and probably a start of a minor downward spiral at least. I just, I always think that teams with good coaches have a chance to turn things around. And I, I find it difficult to start acting like they're suddenly going to go into the doldrums and become irrelevant again for, you know, five plus years or whatever it might be. But well, it was longer than that last time around, of course. But yeah, I, I just think this is going to be a really, really tough year for them with the losses they've had, with the rookies coming in. Maybe they found a quarterback for the future. It doesn't look like it to me, but... Yeah, I'm going under nine and a half. Sorry, Titans fans. I forgot about schedule you on Twitter. Them too. The schedule for them, that they have a three-game stretch where they go at Buffalo, home to Vegas, at the Colts. That's the opening <laughs> over the four weeks of the season. That's three of the weeks to open the year. They have a, what is this, four or five-week stretch where they go at Kansas City, home to Denver, at Green Bay, home to Cincinnati, at Philadelphia. And that they are basically in a head-to-head sprint against the Colts. Um, for the division, so I, I think, yeah, I think nine wins is fair. I think Mike Vrabel is so good, like you said with Belichick. I give him eight wins through coaching alone, and then the talent sabotages them and only takes them to nine wins. Oh, I hate ending on a downer, but that's what we're going to do. So, uh, sorry, Titans fans. Uh, hopefully, you prove us all wrong. Uh, Ollie, tell us what else is coming along this week. What other else should be people checking out from Gridiron? All the shows across the network, make sure you, you subscribe to this feed. We do it as a buffet menu now, Will, which I'm sure you'll enjoy. That you can Love just that. subscribe to this feed. Don't have to subscribe to six different feeds for nine different shows. Just subscribe to this one feed and the shows will drop in there and you can pick and choose which is the style for you. Or just download all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as long as you listen to a couple of them a week, obviously the ones I'm on, but <laughs> any that Ollie are on, that's what you should listen to. Any shows that are, wait, hold on, that's... Yeah, just listen to all of them. You'll be fine. At least download all of them. Download and don't listen. I can't remember who it was who used to say that, but that works for me as well. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Thank you for staying till the end. If you did stay till the end, let us know. At Gridiron on Twitter. Always send us questions. We can always cover off the stuff you want us to be covering on this show. Uh, we are just a little over four weeks away from the regular season returning. Football is very nearly back, people. Get excited and keep looking at us. 